Hi, it's Mark Bittman. Welcome to Food As Always. You can reach out to us at food at markbittman.com. We'd love to hear what you think, and we will respond to you. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate us as highly as you think appropriate, and please also consider subscribing to our fabulous thrice-weekly newsletter, The Bitman Project. That's at bitmanproject.com. Okay, back in a sec. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out. I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, 
PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water, less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water, and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. Uh, my old friend Jacques Pepin, I was just writing about him, actually, um, has a new book out called Cooking My Way, Recipes and Techniques for Economical Cooking, which focuses on how to save money, time, and effort in the kitchen. You know, I, I want to say that Jacques is obviously a famous chef and a brilliant one. He's also the best home cook I've ever met. It's just incredible. He gets everything. And it's like He's a chef with a home cook sensibility. He's an amazing, amazing character and uh, has never stopped being inventive and creative. We had him on the podcast about a year ago, and it was an episode that many people loved. So I thought now with this new book coming out, it would be a good time to bring it back. I was writing about it because um, I think he was the first famous food person I ever met. I actually met Craig Claiborne earlier, but Craig Claiborne, didn't really talk to me, uh, but Jacques did. And uh, I think I was just 34, 35. We had a mutual friend in Connecticut who invited me to dinner with some people, including Jacques, but Jacques with no last name. And he turned out to be Jacques Pepin. Uh, Pierre Frenet was there too. They were very good friends. Over the years, Jacques and I both lived in Connecticut and we became closer. I, as I said, I think he's one of the wisest people in the food industry. Thoughtful artistic, literate. He writes brilliantly, um, articulate, but very skilled, very inventive. His quick cooking has a depth of knowledge that no one else's has. He's also the guy who said to me, a recipe is like a river. You can never put your foot in it in the same way twice. And um, if you think about that, it's wisdom. Anyway, how great is all that? Here we go. Enjoy. When we first met, and I've quoted this conversation so many times that that probably I'm getting it wrong. But when we first met, you said to me that a recipe is like a moment in time or like a river, that it's never the same twice. And I'm wondering, first of all, did I get that right? And second of all, can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty accurate. You know, I mean, uh, this is probably the not the problem, but uh, the the fact that when you write a recipe, uh, you write it down according to what's going on at that time. I mean, there is never a chicken which is exactly the same amount of fat, too. And you cook with gas, you cook with electric, cast iron, enamel. You know, you're in a good mood, you're in a bad mood. It's summer, it's winter, it's humid, it's not humid. So there's absolutely no way, to a certain extent, the recipe can be the same. So uh, when you write a recipe down, by definition, you relate what's going on that day. You could 
A and B together, and it looked a bit dry, so you put a third of a cup of water in it. To, you may never have to put a third of a cup of water when you do it again. The point is that uh, you have no choice to do that. So the problem is that you write that recipe down, and it becomes, this is the way you do that recipe. So on a philosophical level, at least, the fact of writing a recipe probably destroys it. You know, uh, because that's it, you've done it. But uh, still, I would tell people when you follow a recipe, whoever wrote the recipe, you should follow it exactly the way it is, at least the first time. And uh, if you like it, you're likely to do it again. And the next time you do it, maybe again, the same. By the third time, you say, I put a bit more tomato in there, I put this, that too. And eventually, you massage it enough so it becomes your own. And maybe a year later, two years, you don't even remember where it comes from. That's how you do that recipe. And that's the right process for me that uh, of making recipe. You know. Kate has a similar question, but I will just say that that's had such a profound influence on me. I think we had that conversation. I honestly think we had that conversation in 1985. So that's yeah. 40, almost 40 years ago. Hey, hey, hey. So I actually have a question about recipes too, because my sister and I are, we're both cooks. We cook very differently. She's super comfortable improvising. And I have always been sort of a slave to recipes, but recently I've definitely become more confident and have sort of experimented more and done my own thing. There was a bit in your new book where you write, and I'm quoting you here as a professional cook. I always start a new recipe with an idea of how to combine one ingredient with another. This idea may have been triggered by what I see in my garden or at the market or what I ate at a restaurant or with a friend or by reading about food. So I'm finally getting to a place where I think about those two initial ingredients. And you're, of course, way more evolved than that and can build those two ingredients into a fully fledged dish. But I'd love to hear a little more about that process because I do think it's an interesting concept for home cooks who want to move past cooking from recipes. So who sort of have gotten past that initial recipe level and are ready to really be more creative in the kitchen. Yeah, I agree with that. But I don't agree with the fact that I've spoken to many people who say, you know, I never follow a recipe. I take a recipe and right away they change it to. And I don't think it's fair to whoever wrote the recipe because you don't really know what it should taste like if you've never done it. That's what I said. At least once or twice, you should do it exactly the way it is written in uh, that particular recipe. Then after, you go on your own, of course. There is absolutely no way that your taste can be exactly the same than mine. You know, if I take you to 10 greatest restaurants in the world, I'm going to pick four maybe of those things that are extraordinary. And maybe four say they are very, very good. And a couple of them, and I don't really get it. And uh, you may, of course, have a totally different reaction. Ultimately, my reaction is purely uh, a narcissistic reflection on my own taste. The one that I picked up coincides exactly with my sense of taste, with my sense of aesthetic, and so forth. So I pick up those. It cannot be the same for you. And, and uh, you know, th- this is the funny part of it, because when I teach at BU, for example, uh, I do like the perfect meal, one of the dishes that I used to do, a roast chicken, a boiled potato, and a salad. Too. Then they're all supposed to do it. I have 15 students. Well, I know before they start, I say, please, you have the basket, you have all your ingredients. I know you're going to blow my mind and make it different. But don't, 
you know, torture yourself to make it different because whether you like it or not, uh, I am going to have 15 different chickens today. A couple of them overcooked, a couple undercooked, some burnt, some this, some cold, some hot. But it will be different because you cannot really do it exactly the same than the guy next to you. So you don't have to torture yourself to be different than the other. Just cook according to your own guts and go and see what you can do. To be more creative, or I don't know if you use that word in the kitchen, it's, uh, it's a question of time too. It's a question of... Uh, of uh, you know, knowledge, a question of doing and doing it again. The thing is that for me as an apprentice, you know, I was in apprenticeship in 1949. So, and at that time, it was a way of learning. You know, when you're a kid, 13 years old, the chef said, do that. You would never have said why. If you had said why, you would have said, because I just told you. That's what about. And, and that's how you work for at least a year. And one day, the chef tells me, tomorrow you start at the stove. I said, me? I didn't think that I knew anything at the stove. And through some time of osmosis, yes, I learned. So that was one way of learning. But, you know, the repeat and repeat and repeat of those movements, of those techniques, it become part of your DNA. And uh, that's why I can look at, uh, do a television show, look at the camera and think in terms of, uh, of uh, the texture of the ingredient or the color or this and that. I don't have to worry about my hand working. And that, that's very good. I transcend the level at which I have to think about those. Uh, so those techniques for me are very important. That being said, I know a fair amount of chefs who are very good technicians, can run a kitchen very well, and they get good food costs and a relatively lousy cook. So, uh, again, <laughs> you know, the techniques are important, certainly. If you see someone like Thomas Kerry or Daniel Boulot, they are very good technicians, but they are more than that. You know, they have creativity, they, are, they have, uh, have constants, they have, they have many other qualities, you know, to bring to the level at which they are. So, I'm curious, you, you've been cooking, as you just said, for 73 years or whatever. What are you cooking these days? What are you enjoying when you're in the kitchen? Well, you know, uh, certainly now I have a lot of uh, tomato in my garden. Uh, last night I had Swiss chard from the garden, some tomato, and uh, I probably do less and less my age now with my garden. But I have a lot of arugula, I have salad too. So ultimately, yes, I had a friend for dinner last night. I did a piece of chicken and we did, well, I have a friend who brought me 50 oysters, so we had oysters to start with, and, uh, and uh, we had a piece of chicken, some arugula, uh, salad, and uh, some Swiss chard from the garden, and some pear for dessert. That was, you know, nothing really very special, but uh, certainly also the point is that I know I'm going to be 87 years old, so my metabolism is quite different than it used to be. And as a young chef, you tend to add and to add and maybe to add to the plate, maybe more in the book I did, like uh, The Art of Cooking and so forth. As you get older, then you tend to relieve, relieve, retreat from the plate to be left with something more essential, uh, you know, uh, without too much embellishment. You know, I don't need, if I have a tomato out of the garden, get a perfect uh, ripe color, temperature, you know, a bit of salt on top, olive oil, that's it. I loved reading your new book, Art of the Chicken, and I don't think you even need to be someone who's interested in food to read it because the stories are also picturesque and there are actually a couple of them that we wanted to ask you about because I actually didn't know that your mom ran a restaurant and that you grew up there in the restaurant. 
How old were you when you started going in? And is that where you learned to cook? Well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we live there. We live in the same place. So it's not like you go to the restaurant. You know, I don't remember ever my two brothers and I coming back from school and telling my mother or my father, I'm bored. Say, you're what? You're, are you kidding? When we came back from school, no one ever asked you to do your homework. That was your problem. But everyone kind of grabbed you to peel potato or to wash the bottle in the cellar or to do something. <laughs> it's, it's age six or seven. So we tried to hide and do our work. <laughs> there is no way that I would have said, oh, I'm bored. So what? Okay, great. So, you know, I don't know, from age five, six, we, yeah, we worked. We did one thing or another, carrying stuff or, you know, the bottle from the cellar or washing the bottle or doing uh, or picking up the eggs from the chicken or feeding the chicken or whatever. My six-year-old asked me today if there was some work that he could do to make money. So I think I'll take a page. <laughs> I think I'll take a page from your mother's book. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty fascinating. I mean, next week for the foundation, uh, you know, I have a foundation. I'm cooking in New York on Friday. The hot bread kitchen, I think it's called. It's part of a community kitchen that we work with my foundation for that type of stuff, mostly my son-in-law. But in any case, I've been to those places, mostly black kids and black or brown. And I've been amazed sometimes, you know, we're talking about the chicken there. On, on some kid, six, eight years old, for them, a chicken is rectangular with plastic on top. It doesn't have feet or head. <laughs> doesn't so it's pretty scary at some point. And without any question, the kid, uh, you know, when Claudine was a year and a half old, I hold her in my hand, she stirred the pot, I said, a mélange, you know, so, so she, quote, ate it because she made it with that. And likewise with my, my granddaughter, you know, she sit next to me at the store when she was on a little bench at the, at the, at the counter when she was uh, four or five years old. And I said, okay, get some parsley. So that's not parsley. That's shy. Test it. That's parsley. Okay, that. They gave me those tomatoes. You think they are ripe? Did you smell them? Those pears? You think those smell? Are they smelled? She touched it. She goes to and bring me the salad is washed. It's clean. You know, so it established a kind of platform. You know, and of course you you sit down and you share the meal. She's even the better part of it, and that continue a conversation which often moves somewhere else, and that's the beauty of it. But you cannot have the kid eating different than you do, eating hot dog or stuff or whatever the kid eat, uh, uh, you know, uh, but food and you do a, 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 you know, a rack of lamb for your guests and the kid eat different. And after the kid, the first communion or bar mitzah or whatever, uh, you move them at the table and say, okay, now you eat with us. Kids are not eating that stuff, you know. So, yeah, it has to start. When clothing was small, I don't think I ever bought once a baby food. You know, whatever we cook that night, before I put too much salt or pepper in it, I put it in the food processor or in the blender at the time and make a puree to a... So she was used to clam and spaghetti. Well, it was in a puree, but she was used to that taste when she was five, six years old, you know? So, yeah. We did that, too. I've already messed that up, but I'm trying to get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, stay tuned for more from me, Jacques, and Kate. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Have you ever bought something, owned something that really inspired you to up your game? A tennis racket, a new pair of running shoes, a new piece of cooking equipment that made you just want to cook your brains out? I know that when I first started cooking on induction burners, I just couldn't stop. It was so much fun. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. Some of the features that are available on this car include dynamic sky panorama glass roof, front row massaging seats, you know you want that. Available 33-inch all-terrain tires, which you will want when you check out the multi-terrain select. These are really great features, the kind of features that will make you proud and happy to own a Lexus GX. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. We're all drinking more water these days, and we're all concerned that we're drinking safe, clean, unpolluted water. Yet, according to our friends at the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in the United States have harmful contaminants in their tap water. That's why it's worth checking out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no insulation or plumbing. They remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, you know, those forever chemicals, in your water supply. PFAS, by the way, is found in almost 45% of U.S. tap water. 
AquaTrue has water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. Their proprietary purification technology is independently tested to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAS, nitrates, and many, many others. The filters are affordable and long-lasting, and they do not need changing every two or three months like so many others. They last from six months to up to two years. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you won't be buying bottled water and it'll save the environment from tons of single-use plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and makes a great gift. Today, listeners to Food with Mark Bittman receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to AquaTrue.com, that's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com, and enter code Bittman at checkout. For 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier, go to AquaTrue.com and use the promo code Bitman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N. I understand that many chefs have horror stories about kitchens that they've worked in, but I was particularly amazed by the Chef Coulet story about the grilling Oh yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you can you talk about it? Do you mind recounting it for us? It was you were sixteen. Yeah, I was barely sixteen. Yeah, I was sixteen. I finished apprenticeship at sixteen. I did the season, the season in Aix les Bains, you know, at the Hotel d'Albion there. And uh, you know, the the season was seven days a week, four months, you no know, day off because the, the hotel is open four months. And I was sent to the the first time I went, I was sent to the grill. So the grill there, there was two grill, one for fish, one for meat, with charcoal, of course, too. And uh, but I mean, the chef there, that old guy, was uh, you know like a, a kind of a dictator. Uh, I mean, we had to turn everything with our finger, you know, uh, no touch, no metal, has to touch it, no puncture with fork or whatever. So you know, we had a bowl of water, you dip your finger in the water, and rather up, grab the thing, turn it, put it back, your feet in the water, but still, my my tip of my finger of a kind of a white by the end of the summer, you know, all burned, especially I remember at the time we were doing a mixed grill and the mixed grill was a little lamb chop, a little slice of uh, cast liver, uh, a slice of bacon, a tomato, and uh, a tomato and a mushroom. All of that was on the plate that has to be turned. So that was kind of a ridiculous. That guy had a, a little, uh, a little motorcycle, an Albion, yeah, and we could, we, Alcyon, yeah. The, and since the hotel was on the hill, we could hear him in the morning coming here. That, that thing made a lot of noise. And by that time, no one was in the kitchen. Just hearing it from the bottom of the hill, everyone jumped out of bed, get into the kitchen. He came in, take a look, everyone was there. Then he went to change in his office, you know. So, <laughs> where we're. <laughs> it's like an alarm yeah. clock. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I mean, this, you learn like that with some people who are uh, at the way I mean, certainly at the time, it was pretty common to get kicked in the ass or, or get a thing like this now, which is a bit different. Now you don't learn this way. You know, when I was young, only French people wanted to be chefs or pretty much only French people wanted to be chefs. Certainly no one my age ever talked about becoming a chef, let alone a food writer, which didn't even exist, of course, at the time. 
How do you think things have evolved in kitchens since your experiences with as an apprentice, as a young chef or a young, young would-be chef? I don't know. I mean, you know, I haven't worked in France in decades, you know, in any kitchen, so I wouldn't. But uh, certainly, it has changed now. Uh, I am uh, still. I mean, people maybe one of the biggest change would be that more women in the kitchen or that type of things too. But not really for me because that's actually where I come from. It was only women in the kitchen, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you know, and frankly, even after that, uh, you know, I've done thirty-one cookbook, uh, like eight publisher. I have never had a man was my editor. I have done 13 series of 26 shows with PBS. 13 series of 26 shows. That's hundreds and hundreds of shows. It was always a woman, was my, my producer, executive producer, too. too. I, uh, for eight years, uh, almost 10 years, in the New York Times, I had a column, too. So I, I think I had three editors every three, four years. It was already a woman. I opened the French Culinary Institute. Uh, I was had by Dorothy Kahn, with a woman, but my boss. And I've been teaching at Boston University for 34 years now. Rebecca Allison, who uh, 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 hired me and was my boss for all those years. So in a sense, for me, I've always worked with women, much more than with men. So, uh, but yes, certainly the kitchen is different. We want to explore history a little bit more. You were, I, I don't know how many people, and people will know this when they read Art of the Chicken, but you were Charles de Gaulle personal chef, and then you moved to the States where you were offered and turned down a chef, a job as um, John Kennedy's personal chef. And you went to work for Howard Johnson's with Pierre Frenet. Can you talk a little bit about that decision and that experience? Yes. I mean, you know, when I work with the, I work with three presidents under the Fourth Republic in France between 56, 58, and 58, I, uh, of course, was never come to have some kudo in the dining room. It didn't exist. I had never had an interview with television barely existed. But a magazine or newspaper, or that, that did not exist, period, at all. The cook was in the stove behind the kitchen. In the, and if anyone came to the kitchen because something went wrong and you were going to get yelled at, that was about the end of it. You know, I saw people like Eisenhower, Nehru, Tito, Macmillan, those were the head, uh, the head of state you know, at the time kind of sneak behind the door to try to take a peek of them. But uh, that was about it. So when I came to New York and worked at the Pavilion, and then uh, because of the story at the Pavilion, so we ended up being at La Caravelle, that uh, uh, Roger Fessaguet called me, they need a chef at the White House, they want to, to have you and so forth. And uh, I had no inkling and no idea to be truthful of the potential of publicity or stuff because of what I had been exposed to was totally different. In fact, at that time, if I recall exactly, uh, it was a woman who was chef at the White House before René Verdon too. No one would have known her name too. It took exactly the same thing here that it was in France. No one knew what was with a, a lady from the South somewhere. So uh, we end up, they called me once and they called me another time, a couple of weeks later. And I said, no, I had started studying at Columbia uh, too, and I had some pride in New York already. I didn't really want to change, but to be truthful, I had no idea anything of that type of potential. Uh, I ended up going to Howard Johnson. You know, I learned about American eating habits, about chemistry of food, about production, about many things like that. 
Eventually, I opened a potagerie 10 years after Howard Johnson. I worked there 10 years. Uh, I put a potagerie on Fifth Avenue. Then I was the consultant for the Russian Tea Room. And then, then I opened the World Trade Center with Joe Bond, set up the commissary and the whole food operation. To I would never have been able to do any of those jobs without the training of Howard Johnson. As a French chef, I knew nothing about production, marketing, American English. So Howard Johnson was very, very beneficial. It was very good. It was another world. You know? So, But it was maybe based on some type of conviction or whatever. No, it was just because I didn't realize <laughs> what the potential was, I guess. This is not a question. I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about Pierre if, if you'd like to do that. If you don't want to do that, that's fine. We move on. Of course. You know, when I came to America, uh, I, I arrived, I came on a student boat and I took the train from Montreal up to uh, Grand Central and took a, a cab to get to a, a guy who had a restaurant called La Toque Blanche. Uh, there was kind of my sponsor too. And the day after, he took me to, to the pavilion. And uh, already there, I came with all my certificate in France. You know, you show yourself because you work in quality of such and such from that amount to that amount, whether it was with De Gaulle or with Plaza, and they all have all my certificate. You didn't want to see them, so no, it doesn't matter. You work here, there, too, fine. So I said, chef, to become, he said, no, Pierre, you call me Pierre. I said, well, already, already, it has changed within France, just the, the attitude and all that of the chef. And I started at the pavilion right away, and of course, I became very friend with Pierre and, uh, and his family and so forth at the time. And then by extension with Craig. I mean, you know, uh, I knew Helen McCauley was the food editor of McCall, how beautiful. I live on 50 Saigon, I live on 50th Street. And I uh, I met Helen. Uh, uh, so she came to become my, my surrogate mother, if you want. Through Helen, I met James Beard and... Uh, I, I met Helen actually through Craig because Craig came to review the pavilion and did and talked with Pierre and they talked to me. So uh, Helen, so six months after I was here, I knew the, the, the trinity of cooking in America, which was James Beard, Julia Child, and Craig Lebeau. So the, the world of food was really very small, very, very small at the time. I didn't know one white American chef, you know, I, li- I live in New York. All the chefs that I knew at the Big hotel, restaurant, uh, Hilton Hotel, where Italian, French, a lot of Swiss, uh, French, German too. And, uh, and that's it. The first American chef that I met was Howard Johnson. When Mr. Johnson said, you have to work in a restaurant for a few months. Well, I went on Queens Boulevard there uh, and uh, get into the Howard Johnson on Queens Boulevard for like three months, whatever. Uh, you, you do as you do in the kitchen. You, know, you show your, uh, what you can do. And... Uh, uh, you know, start flipping burger and working on the on things that I hadn't worked on before. You know, mashed potato, uh, brown potato, uh, you know, hot dog, burger, eggs. Stuff, you know. So yes, I learned a great deal too. You've had incredible experiences, amazing accomplishments, gone past where most chefs could ever hope to go, and yet you've done something that almost no chefs have done before, which is write good recipes and done that thousands and thousands of times. Was there a transitional period in there? Because, you know, you know as well as I do that most chefs don't write good recipes, but you do. You're absolutely right. I mean, I never had, 
I didn't have one book. I had the repertoire de la cuisine, the tiny thing, because we had it in Paris in my pocket when you work at different restaurants. So what is that garnish? That's about the only book I ever had. I came to America and then I started and had a Howard Johnson. Then I started setting up recipe. That's what I was director of research and development. So I was there to start making recipe too. With Pierre, we started with three chicken and we finished with 3,000 pounds of chicken, you know, doing a, a pot pie or whatever. But then that was like a long apprenticeship, 10 years for me to make recipe, to organize it. To, and I think I'm pretty uh, Cartesian this way. So I like to organize and, and clear and so forth. So uh, I've always was interested in this. So yes, but that's how, at Howard Johnson that I learned to, to write recipe, no question. Interesting. Yeah. Were you horrified by American food when you got here? Not really. Actually, you know, I live uh, on 50th and 1st Avenue on top of La Toc Blanche, that restaurant that I had there. And my first exposure was there to go to a restaurant, to, to go to a, to a supermarket, which just happened. It was relatively new, the supermarket. I thought it was fantastic. I didn't have to butcher. They, 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 everything was under the same roof, except... All of a sudden, they realized there was a lot of package, a lot of package, a lot of package. There was great meat, there was beef, there was lobster, there were a rack of lamb, a very big too. But there was one salad, iceberg. There was no leek, there was no, <laughs> there was no shallot, there was no barely parsley, there was no oriental vegetable. And I remember saying, where is the mushroom? Aisle five, that was canned mushroom. You gotta go to a specialty store to get mushroom in New York. So, you know, it was another world. You know, uh, very different than uh, than what I've heard. And you look at the supermarket now; they've been as beautiful as they are today. You know, it's a, it's a different world. <laughs> what are you having for dinner tonight? Well, that's a good point. I haven't decided that. I have to look what I have uh, in my freezer. I know I'm going to have tomato because I basically have tomato all the time now. That we are all eating tomatoes every day right yeah. now. Yep. And uh, I think I'm going to have a piece of fish. I had some fish at my my in my freezer, so and maybe some clam because I had some oyster and clam. Someone brought me, so yeah. Okay, well that does it for us, Jacques. Thank you so much for your time. Good luck Thank with you. the new book. I love Thank seeing you. I love talking to you. I love you. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, happy cooking and have a great day. Okay. Thank you, Jacques. You too. Take care. Thank you. I have such a nice recipe for you today from Jacques. I wish I had gotten him to read it because, you know, it's so much fun to listen to him. But they are called Eggs Jeanette, and uh, it's not a formal recipe. Uh, it's an informal one, as so many of his are. I am just going to read it, no fake accent, straight from the book. I christened Maman's most famous and perhaps my family's favorite egg dish, Eggs Jeanette, after her. Mama split hard-cooked eggs in half lengthwise and removed the yolks. She made a persiade by chopping garlic and parsley together and mashed it into the yolks, along with salt and pepper. She added a few tablespoons of milk to blend the ingredients, and then she spooned them back into the hollowed-out whites, setting aside a few tablespoons worth for a sauce. This is me, Mark, interrupting now. So basically, you have garlic, parsley, deviled eggs at this point. No mayonnaise, interestingly enough. Now I'm back to Jacques' voice. I suppose she could have stopped there and had very good stuffed eggs. But Mama elevated the dish to something truly special 
by frying the eggs stuffed side down in a skillet with a dash of butter or oil. They browned beautifully after a couple of minutes. To complete the dish, she topped the eggs with a sauce made from the yolk mixture she reserved along with Dijon-style mustard, peanut oil, and a dribble of vinegar. There you have it, Eggs Jeanette. Enjoy that. Thank you again to my friend Jacques Pepin for sharing his memories and insight. You can follow him on Instagram at Jacques Pepin Foundation. Cooking My Way is out now. Thanks also to my co-host and producer Kate Bittman and to our engineer Davis Lloyd. Thanks to you for listening. Again, food at markbittman.com or bitmanproject.com. And we will see you next week when we will have somebody awesome. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.